But that's why I would say that I think any values are are building blocks of resilience because that is what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what you can point to and say, this makes me, me. Welcome everybody to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. I'm Ashley Carson. Join in my journey as we discuss resiliency, values, and leadership with friends, peers, and leaders. Welcome, everybody, to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. I'm really excited to be having a conversation today with Courtney Clark. She's the owner and CEO of Accelerated Resilience, and she's also an author and speaker. Courtney, would you take a couple minutes to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I got interested in resilience in a, I guess, a super dramatic way. Um, when I was 26, I was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. Um, and then again at 28. Um, and then at 31, when I hit five years cancer-free um, for my first time, they did some scans to sort of graduate me. Uh, five years cancer-free, that's kind of a big celebratory time um, for a lot of patients. And uh, they did some scans to just put in my file and graduate me on, except whoops, lo and behold, it turns out I had uh, a brain aneurysm. It was caused by a congenital birth defect in my brain that I had no idea, actually predated the cancer. Didn't even know that I had it. And it looked like it was about to hemorrhage. It had several weakening points and um, I, it could have ruptured at any point. So I had brain surgery, three brain surgery, um, and then had cancer again. And I just found out last week that I now have cancer for a fourth time. Happy New Year, 2021. Um, so all along the way, it's been, um, uh, you know, personally, re- finding resilience is, has been my challenge and my difficulty. I think um, that I was a person who was naturally resilient, born resilient. And I know that's something actually that you're really interested in is, you know, are people born that way or can they, can they learn the skill? Um, I was born, I would say, pretty naturally resilient um, and just generally positive. And... I have also had to work for it because I lost it. And there was a period of time in my life when I wasn't resilient. It was gone. And I had to build it back up um, tactically and intentionally. So I have had it both ways. And that I got so passionate about helping other people do that. I also um, got to witness it firsthand because because of cancer. Um, I don't I don't have babies. Uh, <laughs> I made made from this body. But we adopted my son as a teenager, mm-hmm. and his resilience from everything that he went through um, uh, through his young young life and his young adult life, his teenagehood, um, and now beyond. You know, he's really been through so very much. Um, such a picture of resilience. And so watching him got me even more excited to say, you know, how do we help everybody accomplish this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And what a journey you've been on so far, Courtney. And I um, I just appreciate your vulnerability and sharing a little bit about yourself. And I, I wrote down a couple things that I'm looking forward to um, diving into um, as the conversation goes, but I, I'm super intrigued with your comment about being born with it. So we'll definitely get, get to that. And then, um, I can't, I can't wait to hear more about the time that you lost your resilience. Um, and then how you, what that sort of process was for you to regain it or rebuild your resiliency muscles. So, um, really looking forward to diving into those, uh, topics. So uh, for those of you who are listening to my podcast, um, many of you know that I am really intrigued by this idea of resilience and resiliency. And I've always really wondered, where does it come from? Uh, Are people born with it? Can we learn it? For me, it's really come from uh, my interest in this topic has come from my own lived experiences and and just trying to understand where my resilience came from. And uh, as I started as I started thinking more about resiliency, 
I started wondering, is there some resiliency quotient, or maybe said another way, a values equation, in so much that maybe a set of values make one more resilient? And for me, the answer is, I don't know. And so I, I really appreciate my conversations that I get to have with all of these amazing individuals. I'm humbled by your time. And so I'm just looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Courtney. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, to your questions, are we born with resilience or is it a skill that can be learned? I would say yes to both. (laughs) I I do think, um, I truly think that some people can be born naturally resilient, but I also fully aware that it is a skill that can be learned because I don't believe that resilience comes from one seed. Mm-hmm. within our lives. Um, it's, it's not a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Um, optimism, for example, is a personality trait and optimism can align with resilience, but you don't have to be an optimist to be resilient. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you were an optimist, you'd use one set of traits and one set of strategies to help build your resilience. But somebody who was naturally more pessimistic they still have some strategies at their disposal. It's just some different strategies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it's not necessarily a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, the best, here, here's a great way I can describe that. So um, in my research for my second book, Successful Struggle, I started looking at what are some different um, challenges we can go through that drain our resilience. Mm-hmm. And I, in each chapter, I tackled a different one. So change. Great example, right? Change is something we all face. It drains our resilience. And interestingly, studies show across the board, one of the top ways that we can navigate change successfully is connecting to people. Mm -hmm. And that is true whether you are male, female, a millennial, a boomer, an extrovert, an introvert, a vegetarian, a Catholic, <laughs> okay? Um, in, it, so they did studies to show, like, what are some really global strategies that people should try that have the highest percentage of working? And so they were really looking to nail, okay, what is this for almost everybody? And connecting to people is global. But what I, when I went, when I went deeper, there's different ways to connect to people. How an extrovert connects to people is different than how an introvert connects to people. So the strategy may be the same. Mm -hmm. Let's connect to people for feeling change. If, if, if change has us knocked off balance, we need to connect to people. But how we do that, that can be different. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you choose your own adventure <laughs> within these strategies. I'm I'm 41, so I came of age in the choose your own adventure books. Uh, totally. you know what those are. Look them up; they're so great. They are fun. Um, yeah, love love the choose your own adventure books. Of course, I go through and read every adventure ending. Of course, I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love this. I love that you brought in um, the connectivity just as a, a point uh, of, of note. I, I recently had a conversation with someone where they talked about um, connectedness um, being one of their values. And then someone else shared a little bit more, a different value, but similar where it was interconnectedness. And so how that sort of supported this, like, uh, you know, our whole um, intersectionality of everything and how interconnected we are and how our choices um, impact others. Um, so it was, it was really interesting. So, um, well, let's start with um, my first question. I'm really curious. Uh, what are your top uh, three to five values, Courtney? I mean, you, I'd be lying if I said connectedness wasn't one of them. I, I have a crazy story um, that I guess speaks to resilience, too, about uh, going through a divorce. And I know that's something that a lot of people go through and it can drain your resilience. Uh, it can put people in a really bad place. So I went through a divorce not long after my first battle with cancer. Um, we, 
we handled that myself. I was 26 years old, newly married. Um, and it's not a real uncommon thing I've learned for people who have cancer at a young age for their marriages to not survive. Um, because you just don't have that lifetime built up before you encounter your first big hurdle. And so we were sitting there in marriage counseling and try, trying to give it a go. And the therapist says, okay, husband, well, let's not use his name. Okay, husband. Um, what I hear Courtney saying is that she is looking for a deep connection. Like, you know, that's who Courtney is deep down. I know there's a lot of reasons that you love Courtney. You, you think she's beautiful. You think she's smart, fun, funny. There's many things that you love about Courtney, but, but all of that is actually window dressing. And if you strip that away, deep down at her, at her core, Courtney is a person with a deep need for connection. And my, at the time, husband said, I know. No. And I love her in spite of that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I mean, wow. I can laugh now, but it was jaw dropping at the time that my need for connection, um, you know, true, you know, we get each other that, that encompasses, you know, trust and passion and all of those things. Um, that my need for connection was a, a barrier to overcome. Yeah. Wow. And that's one of those moments that in hindsight, it's difficult, but you're grateful for, cause you can look back and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is, a, I can give a hundred percent and he can give a hundred percent and we ain't never going to get anywhere near the middle. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the permission that a moment like that gives you. So, um, for sure connection has got to yeah. be, um, on my list. And I would say another value, um, for me is work. Um, and not just me working hard, but this idea of, um, sharing the work, you know, do, doing the work, sharing the work, when I ran, before I did this, I ran a, a nonprofit, just a small nonprofit in my community, getting young people, 20 and 30 somethings, involved in community service, mm -hmm. helping, you know, find their passion. So giving small amounts of money and small amounts of time every month. And along the way, what I was sitting there one day and I had this aha moment and I was like, people support what they build. Mm -hmm. That when people engage in something, then they're, they're on board with it. Um, and so that has helped me so much. It helped me parent a, a teenager, step into parenting a 17 year old. Um, because if, if I spoon feed him things, he rejects it. It means nothing. There's no value there. Um, but, but if I say, well, what do you think is fair? What, you know, what, what are fair house guidelines or rules? Like, what do you think? And and I may not, <laughs> you may say, oh, well, I think it's pizza every night and, <laughs> and you know, no bedtime. And I can go, eh, try again. <laughs> but if the conversation happens, um, then, you know, I think that's, that's how you get buy-in. And so that's how we get buy-in from ourselves. Ooh. Um, we, we to get buy-in from ourselves, to get buy-in from our families, to get buy-in at work in, in every arena. Um, we all support what we've had a hand in building. Mm -hmm. And so always try to think about that when I take on new work, who, who do I need to engage in order for this to work, to get done? Cause I work for myself and I work by myself, mm -hmm. but I don't work for myself. I work for the people that I want to help. And I don't work by myself. I work with my clients. Um, and so I, I just always have to keep who's my team on this in mind um, because the work is with them and for them. Mm, yeah, I love that. Um, what was really interesting when you said people support what they build, uh, it really resonated for me. I have always worked in startups and I think part of what I love about startups and I, and I often stay 
until we grow to some conglomerate or we acquire a number of companies or I mean, my last company, I started at 140. And when I left, almost 10 years later, we were comprised of 108 companies, 18,000 employees globally. And so, but I got to build and support all of that, which you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'd never thought about it that way. But for me, the joy is in like the, the challenge and the build and trying to continue to support till we get to whatever that next phase is. Um, and it's interesting uh, when you then like framed it with, with children, it makes so much sense if you bring them along that journey and let them help set those rules or those standards, whether or not you're going to give them what they want at least they're going to be probably a little bit more accountable to it because they, they were able to share their, their perspective. In their- totally. Well, it's, you know, I've never parented a, a preschooler, right? <laughs> a my son at 17. But all my friends who have preschoolers, they talk about giving choices, right? If you're listening and you've got a preschooler, you probably know giving choices. And the point is you give choices that are amenable to you. So it's not like, what do you want to wear today? It's, do you want to wear the blue shirt or the red shirt? You don't care. But blue shirt, red shirt, both clean. But hopefully that subverts any argument about like, I want to wear rain boots and a Superman cape. And <laughs> you know, if you do, like, they know their choice is red shirt, or blue shirt. Um, and so they're involved. And that lays the pipeline of them realizing that their life is a series of their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it sounds so silly, right? Because we think of like giving choices, it's a way to keep your preschooler from melting down. Totally is. But it's also a way to teach them their, their power, right? If you give them any little agency, appropriate agency, <laughs> Then they grow up learning like my choices dictate how my day goes. If I choose not to do my homework, right? Logical consequences. If I choose not to do my homework, I'm going to get in trouble at school. I may have to go to, um, I never got in trouble at school. What's it called? When you have to stay after school? Detention. (laughs) I was that again that never got detention. Um, Me neither. Never. uh Um, yeah, you just stay at detention. Maybe you have to miss, you know, your soccer practice or your play practice or whatever it is. So, you know, you, they start to realize at a very young age that they get some choice and then their choice actually has a consequence. And the more that we can build that into people's lives, then we end up with people who have resilience because they realize okay, I don't have every choice available to me, right? I can't choose to be an NBA basketball player. I can't choose to not have cancer. Mm -hmm. I don't have every choice available to me, but I got some choices and I can choose what's best for me within these choices. I know how to make a choice. I know how to move forward after I've made a choice and live with the consequences of my choice. And I think that's a brilliant thing that we can teach our kids. And you may not even realize how it might tie into future resilience, but it does. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I wrote down connectedness and work and, you know, really this sharing of the work, doing the work. Any other values that you want to highlight? I always think of my dad. Um, <laughs> my dad and I are very different. My dad's a super like logical, linear dude. Um, but I just love him. I'm such a daddy's girl. and. I will never forget, I was in third grade, and I, the, the, whoever the um, carpool mom was that day dropped us off. We tumbled out of the back of the station wagon. I think it was like a Buick station wagon. Welcome to the 80s. We tumbled out of the back of the station wagon, and there is my dad standing in the front yard with pom-poms. My dad is six foot two. I don't believe he's ever held pom-poms in his life. And other members of my third grade class are watching because they're in the back of this station wagon. And my dad starts to cheer. Do the hard things first. The hard things first. Let's do, let's do the hard things first. Because to start my afternoon, my homework, 
not with the easy stuff, but to get the difficult things out of the way right off the bat to not procrastinate, which I was a little bit want to do. Um, and I would do it every day. And then after dinner, I'd be like, I had this really hard project and I don't want to work on it because I'm tired now. Mm-hmm. Or I had dinner, I want to watch some TV. I want to read a book and go to bed. Right. And so my dad cheered a cheer for me in front of my friends, totally embarrassing, but I will never forget my dad cheering me on to do the hard things first. And I'm 41 years old and I still can picture my dad cheering me on to do the hard things first. So that's something that I think about, you know, both in a, in a small sense of how am I going to structure my day in a bigger sense of how am I going to structure my life? What am I going to do this quarter? What am I going to do this year? That if something is intimidating, that is a really good sign that that's, something important to tackle. Hmm. I love that story. Uh, Gosh, it's so funny. Now you're going to be thinking about my dad cheering the hard things. 100% as as I've been also structuring my day and my life. Yeah, I was already, when you were telling that story, I'm like, ooh, get back to that vision board. You know, like it just resonated in this interesting way. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about your values. Can you uh, think of a time where your values were challenged? And how did you respond? What would you have maybe done differently? I mean, I would say my values are challenged on the regular. I, I think truly all of us who are growing, our values are challenged on the regular. Um, and that's a, that's a good place to be if, if a scary place to be. Um, I would say that 2020 has challenged my values big time because first of all, we don't feel if connection, right? The first thing that we talked about, it has been hard to feel connected in 2020. My main job is I deliver keynote presentations on resilience, adaptive thinking, navigating change, um, to corporations and associations. And I, I travel the world doing it, except not in 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not right now. My business is, is incredibly different. And I have had to find new ways to connect with people. Um, when I'm giving a presentation, there may be a thousand people um, or 10,000 people on a virtual call, but I can't see them. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm staring into the little dot in the camera and I, I'm, it, I'm presenting and I know they're there mm-hmm. and I am imagining you, I'm imagining my audience on the other end. Um, but I can't see, I don't know if my jokes are landing. <laughs> I don't know if you're picking up your pen and writing, um, doing the exercises that I'm sharing. I have no idea. And I, you know, I do know I've, I, I've changed some things. I'm doing a lot more like, let's get in the chat and say this and do this. And, um, you know, you try to find ways to bring out interaction, but, um, but we've lost a level of connection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my work life. And of course, like everyone, we've lost a level of connection in our personal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I have had to redefine what that means for me. Cause at first I was like, well, I'm going to call three people every day and I'm going to, and, and that is all very well and good. But like those people have lives, <laughs> they have a different schedule or agenda. Uh, we can't do weekly game night because life just doesn't allow that. And so, um, we were, I was trying to like sub frequency for face to face and that just didn't work for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really had to think a little differently and instead of feeling connected to a lot of people, mm-hmm. I have to focus on feeling really deeply connected to the ones that matter most. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I thought back on that, I realized actually that has worked really well for me in other times in the past um, when I was in college, my college roommate, God bless Melissa, but she, I swear every month or two, she had a different hobby. 
she'd get real interested. She'd be like, let's learn to sew. Let's learn to snowboard. Let's have pen pals. So she goes and she gets this pen pal from like Poland or wherever. And I was thought to myself, well, I like that idea, but I don't need to bring somebody else into my life. I don't need a Polish pen pal. I already have people in my life that I need to be checking in with more regularly. So I became pen pals with my grandmother. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I started writing her letters because, I mean, email was happening and there was email, but like she didn't have email. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not a lot, ton of time to talk on the phone when you're in college. I was, yeah. you know, in a really, really time heavy program. So I started writing her letters and she started writing me letters back. And I learned so much about her and not just about her history because I, I knew those things, but more about like, how did she spend her day? You know, our grandparents are those people that I think sort of exist in our minds in suspended animation when we're not there. <laughs> like, as though my grandmother bakes cookies every Tuesday. Nope, she only bakes cookies when I'm coming. Yeah. Um, and, and I had never thought at 19 years old about what does my grandmother do with her day? There's no kids at home. Her grandkids are scattered across the country. What does she do with her day? And so I learned. Um, and so... That to me, I I could reflect back to that and say, oh, this has always worked well for me when I connect deeply with fewer people. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I teach at a local university, uh, the University of Washington in Seattle. And last night uh, we kicked off our this new quarter and I wanted the students to go around and share like one word that describes them and one, one word or, or phrase that they want to get out of the class. And for me, uh, what I wanted to get out of the class is um, connection. And to your point, Courtney, connection is totally different when it's like tiles of Zoom and, and all of our sort of Brady Bunch tiles on a screen. And what I realized is I had um, created my lesson plan and I had structured activities And um, within my first sort of few activities, the engagement was fine, but I was like, wait, it's not, it's not working. It's not what I want. And so I shifted and I pivoted and I told my other instructor who was there, I'm like, I'm adapting this. It's not working the way I want it to. And it was really cool when I started actually engaging the students and they were leaning in while it's a different level of connection. It was still like bringing the class together in a way where just like, writing on um, and using your annotation tools is totally different. So um, we do have to adapt and we've all had to really adapt to understand what that is. And I, I'm sort of in your camp where, you know, I, that I have a, a few really good friends where it's like, these are, this is really important for me to maintain this connection. And, you know, we, we don't have infinite time to be able to do, you know, what, what, potentially we were doing pre-COVID and pre-pandemic and, and 2020. So Sur- survival is <laughs> yeah. Good way to put it. front seat. Um, but I think you hit on something that is so important in terms of resilience in general, when you were talking about your lesson plan, mm-hmm. that like the way, the key to resilience is being willing to throw out the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to be an optimist to be resilient. You don't have to be whatever you, you have to be willing mm-hmm. to throw out the way we've always done it. You don't even have to be happy about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to be willing to throw out the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most successful people are the ones who realize it and throw it out sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The more successful you are, you are getting on board with like, you know what? That ain't working. Let's get on to it. You can still be successful if you throw it out, but you waited six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you'll be more successful with the, if on the very front end, right? Those leading indicators come in and you're like, yeah, it's time. Let's let go of the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way we've always done it may have worked, but maybe it didn't. Right. Maybe we just felt comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was working. We looked for proof that it was working because it felt good. Yep. Um, and, and I've seen that happen more times than I can count in organizations. But, uh, but a lot of times, you know, it may have worked. And so we kept it going. 
but nothing that worked 20 years ago is working now. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. It's, it's just not. And, and in many cases, even what was working in 2019 isn't working now. So, you know, like you say, it is, you, you, you're like, okay, well, the exercise isn't the point. Mm-hmm. The connection is the point. So let's not so let's throw out the exercise. Who cares about the exercise? We're going for the connection. Mm-hmm. And far too often um, in organizations, we see this commitment to the exercise, to the structures mm-hmm. uh, and the systems because we took a long time and lots of care to build them. Yeah. Um, we can be proud of that. We can be proud of that legacy and still kick it to the curb. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, we've all been forced to adapt and be innovative. And for me, like the, the silver lining and what I have loved watching um, over these last 12 months is just the sheer innovation that companies and people and employees have demonstrated and practiced and lean in on being uncomfortable in this new space. And then just seeing what's, what has come out of that. Right. And it's really forced us to look at things differently and consider if it's not working anymore, let's adapt it. Let's change it. Um, but that was, you said the word pivot, which I thought was really interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, of course the word pivot has come up so many times, but to me, what you did isn't even so much pivot. It's, it's like you, you said, and cause pivot is like, I'm turning my back on this right. thing and going a complete other direction. And you didn't actually do that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you were flexible. You added to the experience. Right. Um, like I had a client recently telling me this story um, and he works in um, like promotional materials mm-hmm. and uh, supply chain. So he like provides the products that companies use right. um, to manufacture. And he needed like uh, different companies were ordering, you know, they were ordering labels and envelopes and they wanted hand sanitizer. Yep. How, how very 2020. Right. They wanted hand So he realized he needed to source some hand sanitizer to supply these offices with their office supplies, including hand sanitizer. So he turned to a local distillery that was making hand sanitizer and he ordered a bunch of hand sanitizer. Great. That's something new he could add to his business. And then he went to the distillery and he was like, so you're making hand sanitizer. You probably need label for your hand sanitizer. <laughs> no, <that's laughs> he, he bought hand sanitizer from the distillery, but he turned them into a client. Yeah, that's by amazing. Them labels for his hand sanitizer. Like, that's brilliant. And so right. to me, what, what I think of when I think of that is the this analogy comes to mind that it's not even so much pivoting mm-hmm. and going in an entirely different direction. It makes me think of like a twister game. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you got your left foot red, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you got to stretch a little bit in order to get your hand yellow. Yeah. You still got, you got still got your left foot on red. Right. But you got to figure out a way to also get your right hand mm-hmm. on yellow at the same time. So it's less pivoting yeah. and just more stretching. Mm-hmm. But don't be afraid to turn your back on what's not working. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so true. It doesn't all, and in that, in my example at school, when I was teaching, it was just about, I I didn't pivot away from where we were at and what the intended like objective was. It was more just looking at, okay, how do I shift this to get more engagement and to get more involvement considering we are just like faces on tiles in zoom. Right. And so making sure to bring people into that conversation, you so, just change vehicles. You yep, were like, absolutely. this train isn't getting me where I'm going. So I'm going to get in the car. Yeah. Um, well, Courtney, I would love to hear, um, what's your definition of resiliency? Ooh, <laughs> I mean, I think my definition of resiliency is being able to succeed even when the path changes. Hmm. It's not even about getting back on the same path. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about being able to get to your, and and that's the other thing is it's not even about necessarily getting where you thought you were trying to go. (laughs) You may be going somewhere different because I know that I have redefined success nearly every time I have 
had one of these head-on battles. So, um, you know, everybody, people talking during this pandemic about the new normal. I mean, okay. If that's the best you can do, then do that. Uh, But maybe try to be more creative. Maybe what, what was before isn't the best you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have a friend whose house burned down mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago. It had a massive catastrophic house fire, nothing salvageable, burned the house to the ground. And they loved this house. But when they rebuilt it, they didn't rebuild every wall and door and mm-hmm. angle exactly the way it was before. They had an opportunity like, oh, there's this spot where these two doors open right into each other. That's awkward, right? The, the fridge and the oven kind of bang into each other. That's awkward. So they got to, you know, oh, we need a little more space here and a little right. less space here. So they got to make the tweaks that made it make sense. Yeah. Uh, so if we look at post-pandemic success as simply picking up right where we left off, I, I think that we're really missing a lot of opportunities that if this has taught us anything, um, it's that we had some doors that were banging into each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it may have been 95% great, but we got time here. We right. have opportunity here to think about what was banging into each other mm-hmm. and keep that from happening again. Um, so I think that's the key for me is being able to be successful, even if it's a new definition of success. Right. When the path changes, you don't get right back on the path. You maybe don't even go to the same place. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a new path to a different place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you said that uh, stood out to me just a little bit earlier is um, throwing out the way we always do it, or we have done it. And part of resiliency for me, so my definition loosely defined is, um, how we respond um, in the wake of adversity and challenge. Very standard, like Webster, you know, definition of adversity. However, for me, it's more around um, letting go, right? So throwing out the way we we always have done it or the, the, the construct we have created in our mind or this picture of this perfect marriage and this perfect house and this life. And, and then for me, it's always like, what did I learn from that experience? So letting go for me to be able to lean in and learn and grow. Um, And so those have always been really pivotal. And I sort of am of the mindset that things always happen for a reason. And you don't know in the moment, it could take a number of years for you to figure out what that is. But um, it really, it's been pivotal for me when I've gone through adversity or I've had some really challenging um, experiences in life for me to just like, ride it through. Yeah. Like you have to, I had to let go of some things and then I reflected back later to see, okay, what was my role? What could I have done differently? What can I do differently? And it's not even what I could have done differently then, but what can I do differently going forward to be like, to continue to build a better version of myself. So, and I love right. yours. Like yeah. these researchers guys call it post-traumatic growth. Yeah. 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 Right. And I think it's really important. I will tell you, actually, I, I sort of feel differently about one thing than you do yeah. uh, in terms of everything happening for, I know we have a lot in common, um, <laughs> but I struggle. Yeah. I tr- struggle with the saying everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I didn't for, for a long time, but then, um, you know, having had gone through cancer so many times and I met a lot of young adults, um, I have lost a lot of friends mm. way too early from cancer. And so because of that, I have always struggled with that phrase, everything happens for a reason. Now, what what I have adopted instead, it's not that I think it's wrong. It's it's just that I'm just not sure that I can say that there is a reason Ruben is gone, right? But, But what I do cling to in a similar fashion is that even if everything doesn't happen for a reason, it doesn't mean that we don't, have something to gain and learn. Sure. I love that. Right? Yeah. So, so, so it may not have been predestined and foretold and like it happened. This was the way it was supposed to be mm-hmm. as though it's like a good thing that it, it led us on this path. It could suck. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I am totally okay. You know, to me, 
resilience does not mean that I'm happy 24 hours a day. It just mm-hmm. honestly doesn't. It sometimes means being in the deepest pit of my life. Yeah. And I'm in there and then crawling out whenever you can. So I struggle with the phrase, everything happens for a reason, but I can still make meaning afterwards yeah. of what does happen to me. So that, that's always my challenge to myself yeah. is I don't know why this happened. I'm not, I can't say that this happened for a reason because this sucks. Mm-hmm. I didn't deserve this. I, you know, my, my path should not have been leading me here, but it did happen. Right. And so it's my challenge to make, well, how can I make meaning yeah. out of the things that did happen? So yeah, I love my that. To that. Yeah. Um, and um, Courtney, you're always welcome to challenge my, uh, <laughs> I, I love it when people do actually. Um you know, cause I'm not an expert in this and it, it stemmed out of like a passion project around just trying to understand all of us collectively. And, um, it's, I really love the reframe there just around, um, making meaning out of it. So sort of, sort of looking at just my definition of resiliency, what can I learn from these experiences? Right. Yeah. Um, and I add that again, because so many people, you know, the, the, the kind of cancer that I had, um, is a melanoma skin cancer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, did you spend a lot of time in tanning beds? No, I didn't. It turns out that we now think we know where my cancer came from. It's nothing that I did. Um, it was, you know, done to me. Um, and but a lot of people they want to know why. Like, why did that happen to you? Did you did somebody smoke a lot? And that's why they got because that helps us feel protected. Yeah. Right. This, this person, you know, they, their car got broken into because they left it unlocked. So that won't happen to me. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we, so to me, I always like to, um, I always worry about who's listening mm-hmm. and feeling like, Oh, well, did this happen for, did I deserve this? Yeah, that's fair. It's good. Right? Positive mindset. Everything happens for a reason. Even mm-hmm. if something bad happens, you're like, everything happens for a reason can mean I'm, you know what? You're right. I'm going to come out of this stronger. It's going to be a success. But if somebody's in a negative frame of mind, then that could be like, I deserve that. I got right. this because of that. So that's yeah. why I just, I have always struggled with everything happens for a reason because of the friends that I deeply miss. And so, um, so that's, that's where that came from for me. Yeah. Um, and I just actually think we're, we are, you are an expert in resilience because we're all experts. Mm-hmm. If we're still here putting one foot in front of the other, we are figuring out resilience. Yeah. Yeah. You are an expert. I love that. Um, Courtney, I'm curious. Do you think that values in resiliency are correlated? A hundred percent. And I'm not even sure that it matters specifically what the values are. Yeah. It matters that they exist for you um, because that's gas in the tank that drives you forward. So, um, you know, whatever it is that that lights your fire, that gets you out of bed in the morning, that's your resilience. Um, and it, you, you mentioned before that you wanted to know more about the time that I lost my resilience. And it is when I lost the gas in my tank. It, it was following my brain surgery. So it, I was wildly caught off guard when the doctors told me about this brain aneurysm because they were looking for cancer. Um, no cancer, but I was going to have to have three brain surgeries. Wow. And the third was this full open craniotomy. Um, it was incredibly painful. Um, I like, like I have to come up with a new word for pain because it shouldn't be the same as like, oh, I got a paper cut. The, the pain that I, it's okay, you can laugh. <laughs> the pain um, was just unlike anything I'd experienced. And I, I, I guess because of the pain, maybe because of the meds, probably because they were messing around in my brain, I started hallucinating mm. that demons were coming to get me and yeah. take me to hell. I'm not even a big organized religion person. I do not spend a lot of time thinking about the devil or demons taking me to hell. But I, for days straight, I, I don't know if I was hallucinating or dreaming. I I think it was happening when I was both awake and asleep. I was slipping in and out of consciousness for several days and I would just picture these demons, my doctor's faces. 
Like they'd come around on me in my ICU bed and I would see their faces, but their faces would then twist into these demon faces. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah. And they, they discharged me to go home. The demons stayed. The demons came too. And after, it was probably about day 10. Um, and I was at this point remarried to my wonderful husband and we had been married for less than a year. We'd been married 10 months mm. when this happened. And I looked up at him, just the love of my life. And I looked up at him and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I never should have had the surgery. I wish I just wouldn't have had the surgery and just waited for the aneurysm to rupture so I could have just died in peace. And that's kind of embarrassing, mm. right? Because, I mean, I am the luckiest person to be alive. That's, that's the opposite of resilience. What I felt in that moment over those days yeah. um, was I just want to give up. I don't have the strength to do this anymore. This feeling that it will never be better than this, right? Like whatever I'm feeling right now, I will always feel this way. Mm. And I just wanted it to be over. Mm. And I, I think that him being there for me was really the only reason that I kept going. But each day that went on, I gained a little bit more of back. You know, there's that joke, like, how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. Right. So then one day I can go to the bathroom and wipe my own tushy by myself. Mm-hmm. That's an embarrassing milestone for a 30 something running her own business Mm -hmm. that her husband or her mom has to wipe her tushy, Mm -hmm. but it happened. Um, right. I mean, I, I I just, it humbled me. Mm -hmm. It humbled me. It was, I, I was helpless. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to me, none of the things that I could point to as my accomplishments, my values, they weren't there for me. And that's when I lost my resilience. So for me, it was this very slow trudge to build those back up, to remember the pieces that made me me or what you're calling values. Um, You know, and I I didn't get, I I didn't get them back all at once. It really was such little bits at a time. Um, You know, being able, I, I couldn't, run my organization or do my volunteer work because I couldn't read my email. Right. I could only read one email at a time, but that one email gave me a little bit of fire in my belly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That's that self-efficacy. Yeah. How, how it's this snowball that starts to roll downhill. Like you do one little thing and then it, it makes you have something to point to and go, Oh, like I did that. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I could do this other thing. And then you do that thing, which leads you to feel like you could do this other thing. Um, and then all of a sudden that, that snowball's going. Um, so that was that process for me. And it, it, it wasn't a light switch. It didn't happen overnight. Um, but that's why I would say that I think any values are, are building blocks of resilience because that is what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what you can point to and say, this makes me, me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, some, there, there are so, there are certain experiences that can leave, that can be really painful or leave people feeling so powerless. And so, um, and you know, what a, what an interesting experience. And I imagine how it must have, I mean, pain is interesting to you as is a word for that, right? Um, versus like feeling tortured or powerless or some other word. Um, because it that experience, you you weren't prepared for it and you couldn't control it. And it and it's hard to accept the reality of like what is happening around. And and so I think sometimes and we sort of talked about this, but like just leaning in and that acceptance piece can be so hard and also incredibly important um, when the scenario can allow for it. Right. But um, what a path. But you know what? How, didn't we all experience that in 2020? Right. Mm-hmm. All of our worlds shrunk all of a sudden in March of 2020. 
And so a lot of the pain I think that we're feeling now, we are also feeling, to be fair, pain from fear that we're going to get sick or grief from losing loved ones, you know, but, but I think that we're also feeling pain because when our lives are, you know, our regular size, medium, big, whatever size your, your life is that makes you happy, you have a certain level of control. And you said control when you were just talking. Um, and, and you can, you've got your things that you can control, right? You, I can make this happen at work. And I know this, and I did, this is what I do at home. And I'm a great cook and I can control that. And then all of a sudden your world shrinks. Yeah. And the number of things you have control over is a lot different. Mm-hmm. And I think so much discomfort can come, not all discomfort, but a lot of discomfort can come from, feeling like we really want to be controlling more things than we can control. It's that expectation, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're, if we're mad, it's because expectation and reality aren't aligned. Yeah. And all of a sudden reality changed so much and we expect to be able to control X, Y, and Z. And now we can't control X, Y, and Z. And that can happen because of a pandemic. It can happen because of a divorce. It can happen because your child is diagnosed with autism. It can happen because you or someone you love are diagnosed with cancer. A million things mm-hmm. derail our expectations. And then we line right up to torture ourselves further <laughs> by saying, well, I want to control this, but I want to control this. Yeah. And that's all we're doing is committing self-torture <laughs> by, by trying to control all these things that we can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is good to mm-hmm. control what you can control. Yeah, if yeah. we don't control what we can control, that's how life drops you into a pit and you stay there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know somebody who's had that happen, right? A, a, an illness diagnosis. And they just never really, they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're uh, the perpetual victim, yeah. right? They lost two jobs in a row and they're a perpetual victim. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it is good to control what you can control. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you try to control the things that you can't control, you're just banging your head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I want to, I'm kind of curious. You already touched on part of this question earlier. Um, so I'm always really curious if people are born with it. And I know you mentioned earlier that absolutely you were born with it. And then I'm also curious, can it be taught and learned? And um, you started going there and, and at the beginning of our conversation, I'm just wondering like, how do you think resiliency can be taught or learned? Um, like, are there certain strategies that people should try and deploy? Is there some practice that people should do? Just kind of curious in your work, what you think um, works for one to possibly learn resiliency. Sure. So I do think, I 100% think that it can be learned. Now, to say that it can be taught is a little harder because... Mm-hmm. In my research um, and and in my experience, one of the number one ways that we can gain resilience is through a little word called perspective. Mm -hmm. And perspective is super personal, Mm -hmm. right? It's like kind of right there in the word. Perspective is all about your view. (laughs) And it is very hard to give someone perspective. The world tries to give people perspective and it backfires. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever heard, you know, pe- people will say this, I- I'm guilty of it. People mm-hmm. will go, oh, well, at least you don't have it as bad as so-and-so over here. Mm-hmm. Has it ever really worked? No, people just, they, they get frustrated if somebody says, you know, oh, you don't shush, you don't have it as bad as this person. Um, so it, we really cannot give mm-hmm. other people perspective perspective. What I like to tell people who ask that question is to share with them, all you can do is provide the opportunity for them Mm -hmm. to get perspective for themselves. You can't give it, but they can get it. And to me, the number one way, I'm a nonprofit person, um, but research is pretty clear on this. One of the best ways for people to get perspective is to give back to other people. Hmm. because of the self-efficacy we were talking about earlier, right? That you may feel in your own life, like, oh, there's, I I don't have control over anything. There's nothing I can do. 
And then you go to a volunteer day. Mm-hmm. And you build a house. Yeah. For some. I did one once. Oh, the, it was this group that takes women out of domestic violence shelters. Mm-hmm. And they bought out several apartment complexes. So mm-hmm. these women are leaving the emergency shelter. And now they get to live for a year or two with their children in this lovely apartment complex. And what we did as volunteers is set up their new apartment with furniture and we painted the walls and we made the kids beds and we put the little Star Wars backpack on the wall, you know, so cute. And all of a sudden you see that you may have just done something that changed the world for a person. You feel powerless in your own life, but look at the power that you do have. And then all of a sudden you stop feeling quite as powerless and you're like, well, I do have a little bit of power. So maybe you do one other thing and there's that self-efficacy snowball that starts to grow. So to me, you cannot give someone perspective, but you can provide opportunities for them to get perspective for themselves. And I think that giving back doesn't have to be formal volunteering, but giving to somebody else is one of the best ways that we have to get perspective. That's where I tell people to start. Um, if they, if there's somebody in their life or themselves that needs to build resilience is don't, don't start with building resilience. Start by growing your perspective, get a broader view of the world outside of your challenges, your struggles, your brick walls that you're butting up against. And when you do, get that perspective, I suspect that without even realizing it, you're going to grow your resilience. You're going to get tools from the other people that you see. You're going to look at them and go, my God, they're putting one foot in front of the other. It's not a comparison, but you're just going to broaden the library of tools you have to draw from. I I think I mixed my metaphors there. I don't know that you can have a library of tools, but... (laughs) Throw yeah. a big toolbox. Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. Um, uh, I love this. You know, uh, I, I'm certainly one to volunteer and I've been on boards and I've volunteered for nonprofits. And, you know, I, I like to um, give back uh, as often as possible. And I, I think what's interesting is it's such a humbling experience, right? It, and when you can go and volunteer your time and, and, give a piece of you to support others either in need or supporting organizations that are trying to drive some mission forward. It is this reminder. And, and, and it, for me, it's always been super humbling and just reminds me like, you know, there's so much more happening around us. And, and if we get out of our own personal bubble and open our eyes to, to what's, what's happening, um, it really does help broaden to your point, my own personal perspective. So if I see something happening around me, like I'm not just looking at it from, you know, my own little box that I live in. I can see it from different, different realms and, and, and different perspectives. So I, I really love that. And, and, you know, until we sort of do that, we don't, it's sometimes it can be hard to think outside of our own, our own, our own world and our own box for that metaphor. So, and I think about, I have a son, he's 23. And I often think about like, he's still in that phase. Well, I think my son's super resilient just because of uh, our lived experiences. Uh, I also think he's in this phase of, well, it's all happening to me. So he actually, he doesn't have this perspective that it's not all happening to him. One part of it, he's doing himself through choices he makes. And two, he's not recognizing that there's so much more happening around him. Uh, And I, and I can't force him, right? I can't, teach him that he has to learn it himself so when i so Amen. i love it it's I loved, it's <laughs> yeah i loved your differentiation between learned and taught uh, i yeah. really appreciated that yeah yeah all you can do is make space for it yep and uh, yeah um yeah he, he's a good guy but it's just so funny sort of reflecting as you're sharing all of this and i'm like hmm, interesting that. yep um, well, I have just a couple more questions for you, Courtney. I really uh, appreciated your time. I'm always so grateful when um, people give me their their time and create space for these conversations. So thank you. Um, I really love. Yeah, I've really loved our conversation. Um, 
So I want to go back to just a couple of questions that I have been really interested in learning about as it pertains to resiliency. And, um, you know, it's this concept of a resiliency quotient or a values equation. So I'm wondering, Courtney, do you think that there is a resiliency quotient? I don't think I do because that is so specific. And I think that resilience is everybody's own recipe. I really, I, I truly think that it is, which explains why you will see people who have suffered horrible abuse or poverty and seem to come out unblemished. And then other people get knocked off their pedestal at the slightest inconvenience. Um, and I think if, if there was one equation that everybody could apply, then I'm not sure we would see such a diversity of experiences, but the same, the same strategies don't work for everybody in all the same ways. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about, um, with connecting to people that an extrovert would do it differently than an introvert. Um, so I, I, I really do think that because you could be born with it or could not be born with it, um, right? If you are born with it, maybe you need a little less seasoning than somebody who's not born with it. Maybe they need a little more seasoning. And um, if you're listening, you can't see what I'm doing right now, but I'm shaking like a seasoning <laughs> shaker. Um, and it, because if this is a recipe, then everybody starts with different raw materials. And so they need a different recipe to get something that's flavorful at the end. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Which is why I also think that we can't compare our resilience journey to anybody else's. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes these stories of, oh, this person suffered so much, but look at them now. I, I do sometimes think that we, um, we commoditize suffering. We, we Hollywoodize stories of, you know, this guy lost both of his legs and now he's an Olympian. And that is awesome. What a freaking hero. And if that makes you feel guilty about the fact that you did not want to go to the gym this morning, <laughs> then maybe you don't need that story. And it doesn't actually help your resilience um, to feel that comparison game. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different journey for everybody, I think. Um, and the less we compare, probably the more resilient I'll be. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so then it's a similar question, but just a little different. Um, what's your resiliency quotient? Let's see. Well, it definitely involves connecting to people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, it involves truly figuring out what success is for me while trying to ignore the voices in my head the voices of society that tell me, you know, success has to look like X, Y, and Z. Because um, as long as I'm pursuing somebody else's path, somebody else's expectations, or expectations that I've that I think are mine, but they're really not. I've adopted them because I'm a people pleaser, or I want to be looked at as a leader, whatever that is. Um, that has always drained my resilience. Mm. So for me, it's, you know, it, when people, if you talk about the, di the dictionary definition of resilience mm -hmm. and they talk about bouncing back, mm -hmm. I would ask to what? Yeah. <laughs> if you're bouncing back to something mm. somewhere that you didn't really intend to be in the first place, or that's not really serving you in the first place, Mm -hmm. that's not a success mm -hmm. <laughs> don't bounce back to there yeah yeah so um so to me it has it's truly all always been about movement mm -hmm. moving forward um not doing things the way we've always done like we talked about but always questioning like is this the path that i truly want to be on and it's okay if yeah. i if i change that um, 
it's okay if I decide I don't want this degree or I don't want to get married or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's not abandoning your goals if it wasn't really your goal to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And just sort of concluding and bringing it back to your definition, which is similar to what you were sharing. It's like being able to succeed when the path that your path changes. So yes, you know, and your path will change. Absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Our PSA message for today is that the only thing that's constant is change. (laughs) So thank you, Courtney Clark. No, but yes, I really appreciate your time I today. I really need my expert opinion to uh, <laughs> tell you that. Totally. You're on. Don't get too comfy. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, thank you so much, my friend. I really enjoyed our conversation and just loved diving into the concept of resiliency with you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. I'm Ashley Carson. Thanks for listening to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. Our journey of learning and my quest to understand resiliency continues. Check out my blog at resiliencytheory.com to continue this conversation. Or if you want to listen to my next podcast, follow me there. If you'd like to connect with me, there are a few ways. You can follow me on my Instagram page at resiliencytheory or my LinkedIn page at Ashley Smith Carson. You can also email me at hello at resiliencytheory.com.